Welcome to Today on Broadway for Tuesday, November 28th, 2017. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. James, a little programming note here. Normally on Wednesdays, we don't have anybody with us. But tomorrow, as you've mentioned, uh, I think yesterday's show, we will be joined by the one and only yesterday's birthday boy, Robbie Rizell, <laughs> the Grammy-winning tangential designer for Broadway Records. Uh, this morning, later this morning, the Grammy nominations come out. And while I'm sure he would be great to talk about T-Swizzle and... I, I don't know. I really don't know anybody else who's released an album this year, but uh, he's not going to talk about that. He's going to talk about the theater cast album nominations. I did see him mention on the Twitter this week that there could just be three nominees. So it'll be interesting to see what he thinks of what is nominated, what gets snubbed and what that means for the cast album market in general. So that'll be exciting. So tune in tomorrow to hear the one and only diva Robbie himself. And then, after the Grammy nominations come out tonight will be the first Broadway performance of the Royal Court's Broadway production of the play The Children. It's a new play by Olivier Award winner Lucy Kirkwood and is directed by James McDonald and features the London cast, including BAFTA Award winner Francesca Annis, Olivier nominee Ron Cook and Olivier winner Deborah Findlay. The show will officially open on December 12th at MTC's Samuel J. Friedman Theatre. Uh, this was a well-received uh, show over in London. It'll run through the holidays. So um, if you get a chance, definitely want to put this on your winter to see list. It's not a big flashy musical, James, but it'll be a, a play that I'm sure will get very good notices when it opens next month. Yeah. So um, Robbie and the whole thing, <laughs> you know, did I did I jinx myself? Um, because, you know, I had mentioned that Robbie was coming on and then I mentioned that we're going to be doing the grosses and then we had, uh, amazing uh, amount of self-congratulatory, uh, grosses announcements from press reps today. Oh, we'll get to that. We'll get to, we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Lord. But more importantly, if there's only three, uh, cast albums in the category, do we still have a chance to make a cast album tonight and get it in to be considered? <laughs> I don't know how that works. Could be. I mean, I know somebody over at Broadway Records, you know, hmm. maybe they can help. I have I have GarageBand, so uh, yeah. maybe we can figure something out. I I don't really know that. <laughs> Here, hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't drink, but that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah I get it. Yeah, neither do I, but it's a funny thing. You know, we should make yeah, a podcast a called uh, Hold My Beer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get the URL. <laughs> like I don't own it already. All right. Last week's Broadway grosses. Tell us about that. Oh, James, there's a lot here. Okay. So first off, unsurprisingly, last week's Thanksgiving holiday was a major boost to the Broadway box office. The total receipts rose by almost $8 million or 25.47% to come in at $39,079,348. 25 of Broadway's 31 shows saw week-to-week -week increases, including a whopping 22, which saw gains of over six figures. The top five risers were unsurprisingly all family shows, Wicked being the biggest, The Lion King, School of Rock, which was the only show to play nine performances last week, then Aladdin and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Coming in sixth on that list was Hamilton, which had its best week ever at $3,453,772. And James, 
I didn't see a press release for this one, so I'm not sure if I can confirm this one. But I'm going to guess if it was its best week ever, that it was also the best week for at the Richard Rogers. Maybe that's a new house record. And this is something I, I was kidding about that. Of course, it's a Richard Rogers record. But is that also a Broadway record? Have we ever had anything above three point four five million dollars? That's something that um, I didn't really see anyone talk about, but it, I, I would guess that it have to be up there if it's not but anyway the the sixth show go ahead now uh well don't you know somebody over broadway records you could ask them yeah <laughs> oh well done very different different broadway records that's like albums <laughs> like yeah vinyl I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure that uh i can't think of anything i i, I, I i'm pretty sure that Hamilton was the first one to break three million. I, I can't remember yeah, anybody too. else ever breaking three million before. So, and it looks like they are well on the way to four million eventually. Oh yeah, we'll get there. But um, so we had twenty-two shows increased by over six figures, but we also saw six shows that saw declines. Going from largest to smallest dip were M. Butterfly, The Parisian Woman, Junk, Time in the Conways, which closed on Sunday, so I'm disappointed they didn't get a bump, Springsteen on Broadway, and then Home for the Holidays. That last one (laughs) is especially shocking because it it may had a decline going from five to eight performances and it still lost twenty eight hundred dollars to come in at forty eight thousand four hundred ninety six or just three point three percent of its weekly total grosses. Woof. Uh, man, that's I mean, that that hurts. I feel bad for the people involved. It's average ticket price, James. Thirteen dollars and fifty one cents. You can see a movie for cheaper than this Broadway show. I hate to pile on, but lies, oh well. damn lies and statistics. Yeah, never get never let facts get in the way of a good story. Anyway, as alluded to, Hamilton was tops again at three million four hundred fifty-three thousand seven hundred seventy-two dollars, followed by The Lion King at two point six five million, Hello Dolly at two point four seven, Wicked at two point four, and Springsteen at two point three. Aladdin also topped two million dollars. The rest of the seven-figure club included Dear Evan Hansen at one point nine five million, which James to me is one of the week's biggest surprises because yes, it's Thanksgiving, but it's the first week without Ben Platt in the row role. So who knows what it'll be like next week when it's not a holiday uh, with Noah in the part, but I'm just shocked that it had its best week ever when Ben Platt was no longer with the show, but we'll get back to that. Yeah. Um, also, also in the million dollars is come from away school of rock, the book of Mormon, Charlie and the chocolate factory, the Phantom of the opera, the bands visit Anastasia waitress, kinky boots, cats and meteor shower. Now, James, as I've, as we've been joking about here earlier, there was a rash of press releases yesterday morning proclaiming that Dear Evan Hansen, The Band's Visit, and Hello, Dolly had all smashed their individual house box office records. There might have been more, but I just tuned them out and deleted them immediately. Now, of course, I'm happy that all of these shows are doing well. I'm ecstatic for the cast and the crew and the creators and all that stuff. But the incessant flow of these releases is actually a bit disheartening to me, James. We talked about it and you said, maybe you don't want me to say this on air, but oh well. Uh, You said it's kind of morphed into a bit of a pissing match between producers. But for me, since for the most part, theaters aren't adding seats, all this means is that they're raising ticket prices. And while, James, you are the one between us that has an economics degree, I feel like they are raising ticket prices faster than the rate of inflation. So it just means that they are continually pricing out more and more people from being able to afford a Broadway ticket. And not only that, but producers are bragging about that fact. I get that to an extent it's supply and demand and people are willing to 
pay for tickets, so why not make the most money out of them? I get that. I'm so happy that producers are able to do that because when a show is successful, James, it allows these producers and investors to do other shows that might be more risky uh, because they've had a surplus of money from a previous show. Totally get that. All about it. But the whole sitting at the press release and patting yourself on the back just seems a bit disingenuous. This isn't like a Hollywood big budget blockbuster release where there is practically an endless supply of screens and seats to see a film on a given weekend. It's Broadway. You have a fixed number of tickets you can sell. And if you want to brag about charging higher ticket prices, feel free, but don't do it under the guise of it being some sort of badge of honor or accomplishment. I mean, to an extent it is, but it just it it seems a little uh, I don't know, capitalistic. I don't know. That's not the right word, but it seems just a little slimy to me. Yeah, it's not a little slimy. I think it's a lot slimy. Um, okay, I, fair. <laughs> I'm it, I'm I'm interested to see if there's any uh, you know five thirty eight level analysis of these things. Uh, when I say five thirty eight level analysis, I, I mean some sort of independent analysis that uh, where somebody will look at what is happening in the market. It somebody proposed to me that. Uh, that perhaps you know these huge raises in prices are really not changing the market so much it's just that it's cutting into the it's cutting into the scalpers it's not cutting into the everyday ticket buyers and how much that's taken out of it and we saw uh in a report uh in the last couple of days about uh Google uh right. re- reducing the uh, the ability for folks to advertise uh, through Google Ads and things like that, uh, ticket prices without being a registered ticket broker or and following some sort of guidelines. So, I I, I wonder how that those things are changing the market that that these huge raises in prices are cutting into scalpers rather than you know affecting the everyday person. But I, uh, I, I'm not your everyday theater goer. But, uh, uh, you know, I see a lot of theater and I see a lot of theater comped uh, tickets as, as a reviewer and a, and a voter right. of various organizations. Um, but, you know, I, I'm seriously considering putting down that three to five hundred bucks for Bruce Springsteen, you know, and right. <laughs> uh, we'll get to that, too. Yeah. So, oh, well, I'll let you move forward there. But it. It's such a, uh, you know, it, it's like the New York City real estate market. Uh, for 25 years, I keep saying, oh, my, my goodness, it, it can't keep going up. But it, but it does every, every single yeah. day, every single week, every single year. You know, what was my two-bedroom apartment on the Upper West Side of Manhattan uh, when I could have bought it for $175,000 and I was like, that's ah, ridiculous. And now it's worth over well over a million dollars. And that's just 15 years or so. Yeah. So at some point, at some point you have to imagine that the bubble will burst. Yeah. And it's hard because you, we celebrate shows doing well. So it's not that we don't want them to do well. It's, it's a fine line. You know, we've been talking a lot about accessibility to theater here lately with, you know, the, what we talked about yesterday with Michael Grant is doing the 40,000 seats at $10 with things with the Eduham and then the Broadway League is doing something very similar to bring students in. You know, we love those things because it is opening the theatrical experience to larger and larger amounts of people. 
But like I mentioned, when I saw Hamilton, Lynn thanked the ticket buyers because they couldn't do those things if people weren't paying excessive amounts of money for tickets. So it's 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 like the snake eating its own tail. Um, it's weird and it's and it's a little unsettling, but it's you know it's how the sausage gets made. I wonder if uh, these huge announcements of Hamilton and Wicked and Lion King and the, these really large numbers and, the, and Springsteen numbers that are getting out there to beyond just the Broadway crowd that pays attention to grosses, I wonder if these large numbers are helping people to uh, find an easier way to raise money, saying, hey, you know, we've got the next Hamilton. You know, Ron Chernow's new, Ron Chernow's new book on Grant. <laughs> That could be made into a uh, that could be made into an emo rock musical. Yeah, I, who knows? <laughs> I like it. All right, show and casting news. What is? Oh, look at that. Uh, sorry, I had to lead with this one, but this is actually good news for you, James. Believe it or not, yesterday it was announced that Springsteen on Broadway announced that it's. I think it was supposed to be like what, like eight, nine weeks originally, his, his Springsteen on Broadway run will now play through June 30th of 2018 at the Walter Kerr Theater. Uh, and what's great about this, James, is that because of the overwhelming participation in that original on-sale uh, offering from Ticketmaster Verified Fan, there will be no new additional registrations for this latest extension. Instead, fans who have already registered and been verified, which I'm sure you have been verified, will be placed on standby or that were previously placed on standby will now be eligible to get the codes to purchase the tickets for this latest extension. He was originally supposed to close the first extension on February 3rd, but he's now extending uh, even further into the year. James, to me, this is great for all of you people that have been continually told that you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, and gosh darn it, nobody likes you. Man, really <laughs> probably shouldn't have used probably shouldn't have used it in Al Franken reference yeah. at this point. But anyway, um, I'm very happy for this, but also I think what this means is that, as we've talked about before, I would have to imagine that Springsteen and his producers are going to find ways to get uh, Tony voters in there during this extra extension, uh, because apparently that's something that's very important to him to at least get the um, the nominations in there for any potential, uh, you know, whether it's a book or a direction or performance. I don't know that he would get best actor in a musical or if it's just for the potential to have some sort of special Tony. Um, but I, I would have to imagine that that was at least part of the decision to extend this as long as it has been. Yeah. You know, it, it's all, but it's all been, but it's been said that he's going to perform on the Tonys now. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's only if the producers allow him to uh, do it from the Walter Kerr rather than having to build a passerole in Radio City Music Hall. <laughs> I see what you did there. That's excellent. Just, anyway, <laughs> All right. Sarah Bareilles unveils clues to a new waitress casting. Yeah, James, if you remember a couple months ago, before Jason Mraz was officially announced to be taking over the role of Dr. Pometer and Waitress on Broadway, Sarah Bareilles <laughs> got this big cardboard box and started to unveil clues, random clues, although with Jason Mraz, they were a little less random. They were pretty spot on um, about who would be taking over uh, a role in the show. Well, she started that again yesterday, saying that on Wednesday, there would be a new major casting announcement. Since last week, we talked about the fact that Betsy Wolf uh, has announced that she will be leaving the show on January 9th. One is led to believe 
that uh, the the upcoming announcement will be for the role of Jenna. The first clue that Sarah Bareilles made was a California poppy, and the second was you are you're a good Catholic uh, raised boy. It was one of those prayer candles, but instead of having a saint on it, although she is a saint, instead of having a confirmed saint, it had a picture of Betty White on it. <laughs> um, so. If you know anything about Sarah Bareilles, one, you will know that she is from California and she is a huge Betty White fan. In fact, she's actually included lyrics about Betty White in a song of hers in the past. Um, it's it's a big deal. One year, Betty White referenced or made a video to say happy birthday to her and she freaked out about it. So I think it's pretty safe to assume at this point that Sarah Bareilles is going to be taking over the role of Jenna again on Broadway. Some people thought it might be hinting to Anna Kendrick and it I, just the fact that people even said that got me angry that I wasn't going to be there. But, um, but because the California Poppy, the role that Anna Kendrick played in the trolls movie, her name is Poppy. However, we have a little insight here because um, someone named Holly Dugan was very eagle eyed in a walk in Central Park last week, um, about a week and a half ago now, actually. And she videotaped Sarah Bareilles in full waitress costume, sitting next to Jason Mraz on a bench, filming some sort of promo video where they were singing together. Um, I think that pretty much confirms that this will be used <laughs> for some sort of advertising once she's officially announced. So we'll have a link to that video in the show notes at broadwayradio.com if you want to see that, as well as um, both of Sarah Bareilles's uh, teaser videos. But like I said on yesterday's show, James, this makes all the sense in the world. I will be shocked if Jason Mraz doesn't extend because he was actually supposed to finish his run on uh, the 15th of January, uh, which was originally going to be Betsy Wolf's final date. But she moved hers up to go out to Seattle with Jeremy Jordan. Uh, I would be shocked if he doesn't extend to play through Sarah Bareilles's run because they are good friends. Um, and I think that's a great move to be able to have some star power in the show during the cold winter months and then into the time when all of the other shows are opening so that it can still maintain a little bit of box office presence before the summer when tourists comes and maybe they bring somebody else in at that point. So Sarah Brillis doing this big reveal that at the end is herself. Yeah, it's a little it's a little it, weird. It's well, it's I little, think it, of yeah. uh, I think of, you know, do you know who uh, was on when George W. Bush was running for president? You know who was the chairman of the vice presidential search? <laughs> when George W. Bush? It was yeah. probably Dick Cheney, I assume. Dick that. Cheney was the chairman yeah. of the <laughs> vice presidential search for George W. Bush's vice president. And uh, look at what happened. So Dick Cheney are, coming are into you, waitress soon. Are you saying – or I was gonna say, are you going to say that Sarah Bareilles is going to shoot Jason Mraz in the face? Uh, I think that might be too – too far out the Venn diagram for people to understand that. <laughs> no, people know what I'm talking about. <laughs> All right. Tweet at us if you know what we're talking about. <laughs> oh, look at this. Schoolgirls or the or African Mean Girls play extended again at MCC. Yeah, James, we've talked about the show. I think it was last week. Yeah. All the holiday stuff is getting uh, to me there on times. But yesterday, MCC announced that it was extending the world premiere production of Jocelyn Bio's new play, Schoolgirls, or the African Mean Girls play. It is extending for the final time. It was originally going to close on December 23rd, but it will now end on New Year's Eve. Tony winner Rebecca Tashman directs the show. Um, did you guys talk about this on this week on Broadway yet? No, not yet. Did it officially open? 
I don't think so. I don't think it has yeah, I yet. Think I wasn't so. 100% sure. Yeah. I don't remember hearing it. But um, yeah, so this is uh, this is a getting great word of mouth. And I'm really excited to hear what all of your folks on uh, TWOB have to say when it is finally opened. And then finally, in the show and casting section, James, yesterday, Latino Public Broadcasting, which is a nonprofit organization funded by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, yesterday announced funding for 11 new projects through its 2017 Public Media Content Fund. Uh, it's an initiative that invites independent producers to submit proposals on Latino-themed programs, series, and digital projects for funding consideration. One of the awardees for this year was a behind-the-scenes look at the making of John Leguizamo's Latino History for Morons. No obvious word as to when that will actually air or when it will be publicly available, but I think that'll be awesome to be able to see a behind-the-scenes documentary on how this show came to be from starting out in California, going to the public theater, and now is currently playing on Broadway. Anytime you get a camera in front of John Leguizamo, it's entertaining. So this should be uh, a really exciting thing to add to the Broadway documentary catalog. Yeah, that is uh, that's going to be cool. I, I I'm so surprised that Latin History for Morons is not getting more buzz than uh, than is happening right now. Maybe it's just that there's so much going on; it's getting a little bit lost in the mix. But I'm glad to see that there's all this additional stuff happening. It's really yeah, I mean, it, a lot it, of fun. Yeah, it's not getting a ton of buzz like media wise, but it's doing fairly well at the box office. Um, yet it's only it only played seven shows. I don't think it's doing a full eight show week, but it did five hundred sixty seven thousand dollars in seven shows. Obviously, it's a holiday week, but you know, again, a one man show doing seven shows that's not terrible. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, next up, the Public Theater to host Town Hall on sexual harassment. Yeah, James, this is something that happened last week that we weren't around to talk about. But the public theater will be holding a an open town hall gathering next month to discuss sexual harassment, misconduct and abuse in New York's theater community with all of the allegations recently uh, against theater and Hollywood types like Harvey Weinstein and Kevin Spacey. It is something that the public theater and the New York theater community are taking very seriously. The public theater's Stephanie Yabara, the director of special artistic projects, is one of the events organizers and and she said that there needs to be a place where art ideas and conversation flow freely the event will take place at the public theater on december 4th at 2 p.m it is free and is open to those working in the theater community um I, I I don't know exactly, you know, uh, how this will uh, this will turn out if they're going to have any if it's going to be people talking about things that have happened to them or if it'll be something where uh, they talk about institutional things that can be changed to address this problem. But I think, James, this is the first step into a long process to kind of correcting the corrosive behavior that has happened, not just in theater or entertainment, but everywhere um, and has kind of been turned a blind eye to over the years. So hopefully this is a very successful event and it is productive and the people who have the ability to make some sort of changes are able to get some ideas out of this to do just that. Yeah, I uh, uh, I was at last week, a week before um, Jordan Roth was talking about doing something at UGMS and I'm not sure if it happened yet or if it's going to be in conjunction with this. But, uh, you know, the the leaders of Broadway, the public theaters, Hugh Jamson, uh, getting uh, verbally uh, uh, taking a stand and putting on uh, workshops and seminars about this can only uh, help to uh, improve this, this, uh, this terrible thing that's happening. 
All right. What's uh, Who's Holiday Highlights? Yeah, I was hoping you'd go with the Who's Holiday Highlights, get a little tongue twister, but you did it very well. Uh, but yeah, I figured we're talking about sexual harassment. We're talking about all the stuff that we hated with the uh, press releases, with the gross announcements. So I figured let's end the show today on a high note, and that is the highlights of the B-roll were released for Leslie Margarita as Cindy Lou Who in the world premiere production of Matthew Lombardo's Who's Holiday. Um, we've talked about the show plenty, so you should be familiar with it. It is currently playing at the West Side Theater. It is running through December 31st. It is just goofy. Um, my colleague Alan Henry is there tonight, um, and, and I've heard only great things about uh, Queen Leslie and her performance as a very down-on-her-luck middle-aged Cindy Lou Who, uh, and the highlights are very fun. So take a look at those in the show notes at broadwayradio.com and brighten up your day you know, from all the other stuff that we talked about. <laughs> all right. Why don't you get us out of here? All right. Thanks for listening to today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter at BWWMatt and subscribe to Something Like a Pop on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for uh, spending some of your Tuesday with us. Don't forget, Robbie Rizell is joining us tomorrow. And the three Robbie, of us Robbie, Robbie, will Robbie. talk to you then. <laughs> No, that not, is that not how Sondheim read that? No, that, that's exactly what uh, Steve said. Uh, <laughs> all right, so uh, uh, let's do this again. I'll record this time. Oh, very funny. Very funny.